0: Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, and let's begin reading from verse 1 this evening. It says In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, from the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. And Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltil, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Joseph, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways." You have so much, and bring in little, you eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages, to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and, lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts, Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruits. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labour of thy hands. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, "I am with you," saith the Lord. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest in the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and did work in the house of the lord of hosts their god in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month in the second year of darius the king let's open with a word of prayer <clears throat> dear lord and heavenly father we do indeed thank you for this night we thank you lord for the opportunity to come around your word and lord, we pray that you would bless this time lord you would undertake now pray you would give me wisdom guidance as I preach. Lord, it be your words, it be your thoughts, that you would empower me through the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would teach us and instruct us through your word this evening. May we leave, Lord, singing your praises, and we'll give you all glory and honor back unto you. Pray you bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> now, I know it was a while ago, but the last time we were in the book of Haggai, we considered the people's excuse. Okay, we started looking at Haggai's Message here in chapter 1, and we looked at the people's excuse for the reason why they'd stopped building the temple. If you remember, they returned from captivity, and, and at first, they returned with great excitement, they returned with great enthusiasm, eager to do the work of the Lord. But when the opposition arrived, they stopped the work, and the work ceased, and the temple lay neglected for 16 years. And the excuse that the people gave during this time was it's not God's timing. So it says there in, uh, in verse 2 it says thus speaketh the lord of hosts saying these people say the time is not come the time that the lord's house should be built. So their excuse basically was it's not yet God's timing. And it was an excuse that, you know, sounds spiritual. But in reality as we saw it was procrastination, they were putting it off and it was because of a lack of faith, a lack of faith in the Lord. You know, it clearly was God's timing. And that was seen because God had miraculously brought them back into the land. God had worked through a pagan king to bring them back into the land to do this very work, to rebuild the temple. And so it was God's time. It was just simply an excuse. And so instead of doing the Lord's work, they, because of a lack of faith in God, They allowed opposition to cause them to cease the work. And to their shame, as we saw, they instead spent their time, their money, their resources, building their own houses. Look in verse 3, it says, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now, they didn't have time for the lord they didn't have the resources for god's house but they had plenty of time plenty of resources to finish their own houses and the, pe- the people were now dwelling in sealed houses as we saw that was paneled houses you know houses of luxury almost and when all the while god's house lay in ruins you know as we saw last time the problem wasn't that they had finished houses to live in the problem was they didn't have any concern about the state of God's house. They weren't concerned by it. They weren't motivated to work. And this evening now, as we continue on in chapter 1, we want to consider the rest of Haggai's message here to the people. So first of all, this evening, we see that they are told to consider their ways. Look with me in verse 5. It says, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. If so much and bring in little you eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but ye are not filled with drink. He clothe you, for there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. <clears throat> excuse me. Now, the Lord, through the prophet Haggai, has rebuked the people for their, their excuse. He's rebuked them for the fact that they're sitting around and they're not doing the work that God has instructed them to do. He's pointed out their shame, that they've worked in their own houses, neglected the house of the Lord. Now at the beginning of verse 5, the Lord calls upon the people to consider their ways. This statement here, consider your ways, appears again in verse 7, where it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He uses this phrase twice. Basically, this is a command for the people to examine their lifestyle and the their actions and the result of their actions the word consider here means set your heart that's what he's saying he's saying set your heart on your ways basically it was a call to give careful thought to their actions and the consequences that come from those actions now, basically what the lord is saying here he's saying look and see if anything has been gained by living for self. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look at your ways, consider your ways honestly, and see if there is a good result coming from this. See, it was time that people do some serious self-examination before the Lord. And Verse 6 makes it clear uh, what the results of their actions had been. Let's just read verse 6 again. it says you have sown much and bring in little you eat but you have not enough you drink but you are not filled with drink you clothe you but there is none warm and here the earth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes because they weren't seeking the lord because they weren't putting the lord first everything they did was in vain that's basically the idea here of verse six everything they did was in vain They sowed abundantly, but they reaped little. So they spent all that time laboring in the field, putting all their crops in. And then when it came to harvest, they got little return. When they ate or drunk, they weren't filled and satisfied. They were clothed, but they weren't warm. They didn't have sufficient clothing. And it talks about their income. It says it was like putting it into a bag with holes. It quickly disappeared. And the reason for that is that they were in the midst of a famine and so supplies were scarce. And so prices are driven higher, aren't they? So wages don't seem to go very far. The point is here that the people are barely surviving. They are struggling here. Indeed, their self-seeking had gotten them nowhere. That's the point that Haggai, the Lord, is making through Haggai here. The point he's making is your self-seeking, living for self, making all this time to build your own houses has gotten you nowhere. It brought them loss instead of gain. You know, sure, they had houses that were finished. You know, they had a house to live in, but they weren't enjoying it, were they? They weren't enjoying it because they're struggling to survive. You see, the results speak for themselves. Something's wrong. The people neglected the work of the Lord for their own desires, and they found... No joy because of it. In verse nine through eleven, the Lord continues on with this train of thought, and He makes it clear that all of this is the result of Him judging them. The reason why they're they're not getting any gain, the reason why everything seems to be just going backwards, is the Lord's judging them. He's chastising them. Let's read from verse nine. <clears throat> it says, "You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it." Why? saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste. And you run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruits. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn and upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands." You know, the Jews, they returned to the land in obedience to the Lord. That was what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to come back to the land. And so they naturally thought that, you know, we're back in God's land. God's going to bless us. They were disappointed, weren't they? They were sorely disappointed. They expected much, but they reaped little. That's the start of verse 9 there. It says, you looked for much, and lo, it came to little. They expected much, expected much from God. It came to little. You see, the point is, there's something wrong. Verse 9 continues on to tell us that that the little they did reap in the harvest was blown upon by God. It says, you look for much, and lo, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. In other words, God scattered it. He caused it to perish. And it could well be that Each year at harvest time, when they brought the crops in and they put them in their barns, God sent a strong wind that collapsed their barns and caused the grain to be scattered. That's the sort of idea here. The Lord is judging them, chastising them. He's taking away the little they have. He's you know causing it to perish. As I said, you know, they probably thought, you know, it doesn't make any sense. They're probably sitting there thinking, why is this happening? We are in God's land. God brought us back here. Surely God should be blessing. Why isn't he blessing? You see, they failed to make the connection. That's the reason you got Haggai, isn't it? Because for 16 years, they haven't made the connection. They haven't understood that God's chastening hand is upon them. Now, perhaps they put the failure of the crops down to the fact that the land had been neglected for so long. You know, while they're in captivity for those 70 years, the land's not been there's no one working the land, so perhaps they're sitting there thinking it's just going to take some time before it gets back to what it should be. But the reality was that God was chastening them for their sin. God was acting to demonstrate he wasn't happy with them. And the reason why God was doing this is made plain in the end of verse 9. It says, Why saith the Lord of hosts, Because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. This is the reason for their hardship, isn't it? It goes back to what we saw in verses 3 and 4. The reason for the hardship is because God's house is neglected. They were neglecting the work of the Lord, they allowed the Lord's house to lie in ruins while each ran. Unto his own house. It says that there in the end of verse 9, and ye run every man unto his own house. The word run here in this verse, what it reveals to us is the, the earnest zeal that they showed in pursuing their own um, selfish desires, pursuing their own houses, their own affairs, their own interests. See, the point is they would run, they would swiftly act when it was something to do with what they wanted, when it's something to do with their house. But when it was God's house, they couldn't stir. They couldn't be bothered. They were enthusiastic about their own concerns. They would run. They would act swiftly. But when it came to the house of the Lord, you couldn't budge them. That's the point. They were not concerned about the state of God's house. And because of this sin, God had brought a drought. We read that there in verse 10 and 11. The Lord had stopped the rain and the Jew. Verse 10, it says, Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth stayed from her fruits. The reason the rain and the dew wasn't arriving as needed is because God had withheld it. God was stopping it. The Lord had caused the land to be unfruitful. He called for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new wine and the oil, and so on it goes. He called for a drought. The Lord was behind it all. It was the Lord who caused the land to be unfruitful. Haggai here is making the people finally realize after 16 years, it's God's hand upon you. God's not happy with the situation. You know, the New Testament verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, comes to mind here. Let's just turn over there. It's verse we know well, but let's turn there. Matthew six, Matthew six, and verse thirty-three. We'll go back. Let's go back to verse thirty-one. It says, "Take, therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things, do the Gentiles seek? For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things." But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. It's the promise of God. You know, it's not a promise of prosperity, is it? It's a promise that if we honour Him, God will take care of us. God will take care of our daily needs. You know, Israel, they learnt the hard way, didn't they? They learnt the hard way that serving self, putting self first, doesn't prosper. It doesn't prosper. It might for a little bit, but it doesn't in the end. It never prospers. Putting self first. Lord, well, we need to be careful that we don't follow the example of Israel. Now, we need to, perhaps this evening, ask ourselves this question. You know, consider our ways. Ask the question, you know, who is the priority in our lives? Is it God or is it self? Is God on the throne or are we on the throne, controlling our direction, deciding what we're going to do? You know, are we running after our own concerns Or are we seeking His kingdom first? Because you see, the reality is, if, like Israel, we fail to seek the Lord first, then we will find no joy. We will find no satisfaction in this life. The reason being, God's hand of blessing will be withdrawn. pastor spoke about it for a bit this morning. The hand of the Lord will be withdrawn. His blessings will not be upon us. Because we haven't put Him first. So we need to, like Israel, consider our ways. We need to honestly ask ourselves that question, don't we? Consider our ways. Secondly, now this evening, we see that Israel is commanded, given a command from the Lord. A command from the Lord. Look at me again in verse 7. Haggai <coughs> chapter 1, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. In the midst of all these verses, outlining God's displeasure with the people of Israel, in the midst of all this, we have verse 7 and 8, and God gives them the solution, doesn't He? God gives them here the remedy. You see, if the people are going to have God's hand of blessing upon them once again, then they need to follow His command. That's what he does here in verse 8. The Lord gives them a command to follow. If they want to get themselves out of this situation, then the solution is simple. Obey the Lord. Put him first. In verse 8, the Lord commands them to go up to the mountain and get wood and start the work. Verse 8, he says, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. Very simple, isn't it? very simple solutions right there in the middle this command from the lord he says if you want to know how to fix this get up to the mountain chop down wood and start working start building the house of the lord start putting him first the people wanted god's hand of blessing they wanted the rain they wanted the crops to grow and they wanted you know to have enough food and sufficient clothing and everything else then they needed to get back to serving the lord putting him first Now, the second half of verse 8, there the Lord declares, if they will do this, He says He will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You see, God had made it clear to them through the drought and the affliction that was upon them that He wasn't pleased. That's the point, isn't it? God was saying, I'm not pleased, I'm not glorified, I'm not happy. Their lack of obedience brought Him no glory, it brought Him no honor. But now if they would hearken unto the Lord and put him first, God would look favorably upon them. We're told here there will be two results to their obedience. We're told, first of all, he would take pleasure in it. Take pleasure in it. This word pleasure is the same word that's often used in connection with a sacrifice. And a sacrifice that's offered in the right way, from a heart. It's sold out from the, for God. A right heart attitude. The Lord takes pleasure in that kind of sacrifice. And that's the word that's used here. God says, if you'll start working on the house again, doing my work, I will take pleasure in it. It will be pleasing under him. Not just because they're building a house for the Lord. That's, that's not really the point, is it? The point is, by building the house, they would show their hearts are right with him. They would be putting God first once again. And, and so God would be pleased. It would demonstrate that God is the priority to them. And so God would take pleasure in it. We're also told that God would be glorified. It says at the end of the verse there, And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Their obedience would not only bring God pleasure, but it would also glorify Him. To glorify him here means to honor him. The Hebrew word can be translated either way. It can be translated as glory, to glorify, sorry, or it can be translated as honor. So he's saying here God would be honored in it. You see, God would be honored by the building of the temple. By obeying his command, the Jews would be declaring to everyone around them that God is important to them to everyone around them, that God was worthy of a dwelling place where he could be worshipped. And so God would be honoured, wouldn't he? God would be glorified. And then, of course, the sacrifices could be resumed, couldn't they? And as the sacrifices are resumed, it was a practical way of glorifying and honouring God, in worshipping him. And so God says, if you rebuild, you start working on the house, I will be glorified in it. You know, like Israel, you know, if we want to experience the hand of God's blessing upon us, we want to please Him, we want to glorify Him, then the solution is simple, isn't it? Obey Him and put Him first. It's very simple. Very simple solution. Put God first. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which we know well, makes it clear that our reasonable service is to present our bodies to Him. Let's go and read it. Romans chapter 12, turn in there, we'll keep you all awake. Romans chapter 12, let's read from verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, what's a reasonable, acceptable, pleasing sacrifice in the Lord? It's us giving our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice. This is something that pleases Him. It glorifies Him. It honors Him. Of course, the whole point there in Romans 12 is that we give our lives to Him, that we give Him first place. That's the point, isn't it? When it says that we are to present our bodies to Him, it's us saying, Lord, here I am. Take me and use me. It's saying, Lord, you have first place. Lord, you are in control, and we use our lives for Him. We put Him first. Now, likewise, First Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen to twenty. Turn over there. First <clears throat> Corinthians six, verse nineteen. It says, "What." Know not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. First Corinthians six speaks about the fact that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And with this body, this temple, what are we to do? To glorify him, to honour him, to please him in everything we do. How do we do that? By putting God first, by living for Him. It all comes back to that command in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, doesn't it? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Put God first, serve God first. Don't worry about the concerns of this life. That's what God says we are to do. It's the simple command He's given to us. If we follow that, that command, God promises to bless his people. Thirdly, now and lastly, we see the response of the people, the response of the people. Let's look in verse 12 of Haggai chapter 1. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message, unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Yeah, the Lord has called upon the people to consider their ways, and he's given them the solution. Obey Him. But lastly, now we see their response. Verse 12 through to 15 reveals to us that the message and the reasoning of the prophet Haggai hasn't fallen on deaf ears, has it? This message hasn't fallen upon a crowd that's not paying attention. The people have heard the message and now they act. They respond and they act upon the instructions of the Lord. We find here in verse 12 that the people with their leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, take the message to heart. Read verse 12 again. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and Joshua, the son of Joseph, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. The people have been affected by the message, haven't they? It's spoken to their hearts. They've taken the message to heart. And, you know, we don't read here of any dissension, do we? We don't read here of any division. We read that all the people here, in fo- with their leaders, all come and obey the voice of the Lord. They recognize what, you know, Haggai's words were. They were a message directly from God. And they pay attention. And they are now all united in obeying the instructions of God. And they're motivated, as it says at the end of verse 12, by the fear of the Lord. A reverential fear of God. That's what motivated them to put Him first. They finally understood God's in charge. We need to fear Him. Respect Him. We need to honor Him. And so now with that reverential fear, they get back to the work. The Lord saw their response and He responds in kind. Verse 13, it says, Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. The Lord responds by giving them a promise. He says, I am with you. It's a very short message, isn't it? very short little promise. But you know, it was all they needed to hear, wasn't it? As they set back to do the work of the Lord, to get back to obeying God, all they needed to hear was that little message, I am with you. Now, What a wonderful message that is. What more could any man need or hope for than to hear God say, I am with you? Before this, Israel was not on God's side, were they? God was not with them. God was against them, sending the drought, withholding the rain. God was against them. And now the Lord says, I am with you. Imagine the relief that people felt at this point in time. God was with them as they now went forward to do His will. You know, every obstacle now would have seemed small, wouldn't it? The opposition would have seemed like nothing. Because now God is on their side. God is with them. So they can go forward trusting in Him. You know, this promise from God indicates to us that their repentance here was genuine, wasn't it? You know, many times in the Old Testament you read of the people saying something and then God doesn't respond because the repentance wasn't genuine. It wasn't from the heart. It was just them saying, please don't judge us. But the repentance here was genuine. There was a change of mind that took place here amongst the people. You know, no longer was their focus upon themselves. No longer was the focus only upon their own concerns. Their focus was once again upon the Lord. They'd had a change of mind, hadn't they? About what they were doing, about the direction they were going. God was now the priority as he should be. And God saw the change in their hearts and that's why God now gives them this promise. I am with you. You Now, with this promise, God was guaranteeing them his presence for help. His presence for protection, his presence for blessing. It was a promise of assurance of future success. You see, the favor of God now rested abundantly upon them instead of God's displeasure. In verse 14 to 15 now describe the resumption of the work. We read in verse 14, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Joseph, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Verse 14 there describes how the Lord stirred up the spirits of the people. Stirred up the spirits of Zerubbabel and also of Joshua and the people. So they now come and do the work in the house of the Lord. The Lord worked in their hearts and so now the people are encouraged and they're empowered by God and they begin the work anew. You know, Haggai delivered this prophet—sorry, uh, this prophecy, this message, on the first day of the sixth month. It says that in verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. So the message was given on the first day of the sixth month. Verse 15 tells us, that the work began again in the 4 and 20th day of the 6th month. So on the 24th day, 23 days is all it takes from the time the Lord gives this message until the work begins again. You know, that three-week delay there, Now we don't need to necessarily think that that's because their response was slow. You know, that somehow it took them 23 days before they finally surrendered to God and got back to the work. No, rather, it's probably that they were taking some time now to plan and organize before they started the work. You know, there were materials needed to be gathered. There was work crews to be organized before the work could begin again. Now, for 16 years, nothing's happened. They had to prepare the site, didn't they? They needed to get ready before they could just dive back into the work. You know, it also was probably a time where they confessed their sins and got their hearts right before God probably spent those 23 days getting things right before the Lord so that when they began again, they were ready to go. They were ready. Their hearts were right before the Lord. You know, what a day of rejoicing that would have been when the work finally began again. And the remnant, you know, they'd been confronted with their sin. they have been called upon to consider the results of their actions. And the solution was simple. Obey the Lord put him first, Resume the work on the temple and the people, they received that message the way it was intended. They received it and they obeyed it and they began the work. And God promised he would be with them. You know, beloved, like Israel, we need to consider our ways, don't we? It's good for us to be honest and sit back and ask the question, who or what is the priority in our lives? Who is on the throne? You know, are we living for self or are we living for the Lord? You know, the command from the Lord is clear. We are to seek Him first. We're commanded to give our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice. Beloved, how are we responding to that command? It's like Israel, you know, they're given a message from the Lord. How did they respond? Well, they responded by getting things right with God, didn't they? And acting upon it. Well we need to do the same. We need to respond by asking ourselves this question, considering our ways, and then we need to act upon it. Act upon it in obedience to the Lord. Beloved, are we responding like the remnant here? Are we obeying Him and giving him first place, or are we living for self? Now only when we obey that command will we see the hand of the Lord upon us? Only then will God bless. Will God be with us and enable us to accomplish his will? Let's close the word with Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the book of Haggai, and we thank you for the, the illustration of the people of Israel. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to honestly ask the question, to consider our ways. Lord, who is the, the priority in our lives? Lord, I pray that we can answer that question honestly, that it is you lord i pray you help us every day to to put you on the throne every day to to give our bodies to as living sacrifice so every day put you first so we might see your hand of blessing upon us and we might see you do a mighty work in and through us lord we pray lord may you help us to seek first the kingdom of god bless now as we close we pray in Jesus name.